Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Do you ever feel like you're a stranger in a strange land? You're trying to live your Catholic faith in the midst of a secular culture, but Maybe you have some family members that just don't understand. Why, why are you so religious? Or maybe you have people in the office, some coworkers or neighbors or sometimes even fellow parishioners. There may be other Catholics that wonder, why are you so Catholic? I mean, can't, can't you just tone it down a bit? And, and, and they really look at life in the secular world. People look at life through different lenses. They have a different mindset. They have a different way of living. And there's a lot of pressure to conform and, and live like everybody else. And if you don't, people think you're a little weird. They feel uncomfortable. And you might even be persecuted in the midst of this. How do you live your Catholic faith in the midst of a strange, secular, pagan world? You know, in this time of Advent, I really like to think about the prophets that God sent to Israel to help them when they were going through times like this. I think about that period in biblical salvation history known as the exile. Uh, You may recall this period from around 605 BC to 586 BC. The Jewish people were suffering tremendously. What happened was there was a, a powerful nation Uh, from the north, a great kingdom, Babylon, that came in and took over the land and destroyed their temple, uh, brought an end to all the temple liturgies, uh, destroyed the dynasty of David and carried the king off into exile, and they carried the people away. As they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, they carried the people off into captivity, and now the Jews find themselves living in Babylon, far from their home, far from their temple, and they're surrounded by all these people with different lifestyles, different belief systems, different values, and there's a lot of pressure for them to conform, a lot of pressure to live like the pagans around them, and if they don't, they'll be misunderstood, they'll be hated, and they might even be persecuted, they might even be killed. And what was the hardest part of all this was that the one thing they needed most to help them through this time of exile, this time of suffering, this time of persecution, they didn't have access to. And that was the liturgy. They longed to be able to worship God in the holy temple. They longed to worship God in the liturgy of the temple. They longed to to be with their priests and to offer sacrifice and and draw near to the holy presence of God. They longed for fellowship with each other, but they didn't have this like they used to. There wasn't even a temple standing anymore. How do you live as a faithful Jew in a strange land like Babylon? Maybe you felt this way. How do you live as a faithful Catholic in our strange Western secular world? You know, as we are surrounded by men and women with very different worldviews, different lifestyles, different values, different ways of looking at life, it's, it can be really hard. We have to prepare ourselves. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be, uh, uh, we're going to be hated. We just are. We're going to be a sign of contradiction to the world around us. We're going to suffer persecution, but we and our children are going to experience tremendous pressure to conform, to to buy into those mainstream ways of living today. How do we remain faithful? And we might ask in our own situation of recent months, at least, how do we do this when we maybe don't have access to the temple of God, our, our churches like we used to? Uh, we don't have access to the liturgy. We don't have access to the, the the priests and to the sacraments and to fellowship together like we used to. 
Uh, it's a little more complicated. You have to sign up and sign up for times and register and wear masks. And, and we just don't see each other to, to support each other in the faith like we used to. How do we do this? You know, I, I think we feel like St. Paul, who wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I think, I think we long to worship God with unveiled face. An unveiled face. We long to worship God and behold his glory and be changed into his likeness. How do we live as strangers in a strange land? That's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and welcome to the third week of Advent here. So we're, we've passed half time in our Advent uh, season, and we are closely approaching the great feast, the great solemnity of the Nativity of our Lord. So I pray that your Advent's going well. Uh, I've been blessed to be with a number of different groups and uh, over the last week here. In particular, I want to give great thanks to the Women of Grace group, uh, Women of Grace with Jeanette Bankovic from EWTN. They hosted their Women's Advent Retreat, and I was able to give an Advent reflection for them this past weekend uh, online for their online Advent Retreat. Thank you for, for having me. I'm praying for all those women uh, for their blessed journey with the Lord in this Advent season. I also want to give a shout out to all the faithful Catholics up in the Rocky Mountain region uh, near Vale in Edwards, Colorado at St. Clair of Assisi Parish. I was able to actually go and be there in person to do a live event. Our governor just in the last week loosened up a little bit of the uh, religious restrictions. Thanks be to God he's doing that. That's a very good thing. Um, and so we were able to actually gather in person. So I was with a number of religious sisters and priests and lay people people uh, up in the mountain area of Vail, and we were able to spend a whole morning together uh, on an Advent retreat. So what, what a joy it was to be able to be uh, with all of you. Uh, but what are we going to do about living our faith in this secular culture? What lessons can we learn from the Jewish people? I want to I zoom in on one particular Jewish man. He's one of the prophets, and it's always good to think about the prophets in the Advent season. I want to think about a man named Daniel. You've heard about the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a Jewish, a young Jewish man when the Babylonians took over and he was carried off into exile. He grew up in the Babylonian system. He was educated by the Babylonians, surrounded by the Babylonians. How did he remain faithful living with all of this pressure around him? They, they were, the, the Jews were pressured to eat like the Babylonians, to break the, the, the dietary laws. They were pressured to worship like the Babylonians and fall into idolatry. How do you remain faithful in a pagan land? Well, a couple lessons we learned from Daniel. First, Daniel didn't try to go it alone. I think that's crucial. We, we need friends. We need fellowship. Daniel had other friends, other people with him. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, you remember those three men uh, that were with him. They, they were good friends, all faithful, willing to lay down their lives for their faith. These were the three men that were thrown into the fiery furnace uh, when the wicked Babylonian king was trying to kill them. So these are faithful men, and they built Daniel up. He wasn't trying to go it alone, especially, this is so important, especially in a pagan culture. Because here's the deal. Uh, if Daniel were to try to go it alone, he's just going to be tempted left and right and left and right, and he's not going to have that support, that encouragement, that just that reminder, that daily reminder of the truth 
of what really matters most in life, of what we're really aiming for. What are the ideals that God has in store for us for virtue, for prayer, for adoration? What are the ideals he has in store for us for our marriages, for raising our children, for discipline, for training our children in godliness and faith and virtue and character? You know, we, we need other good families. We need other friends. Uh, we, we have to be like Daniel. We, we need that fellowship. Uh, I often use the analogy that we've used in focus over the years of the burning coals. When you have, you're making a barbecue and you have the, the coals, you're, you pile them up together, right? Because you want the heat from one coal to heat the other coal and they, that, that, that heat burns off of each other, right? But if you take one of those coals and you isolate it, you set it off to the side, what's going happen to happen to that coal? It's eventually going to die out. So it's so important if we're trying to live as Christians in a pagan land, in a secular world, we need other brothers and sisters. We men need other men's we, men. We men need other fathers, other husbands, other other good virtuous men around us to help us, you know, to 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 stay on the right path. We need our Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael's. Uh, we need that for our children. We can't just have our own little isolated coal, our little family, our little tiny domestic church is not connected to other families. We need our children to be able to rub shoulders with other good committed families as well. Uh, it's so important that, that we do this. If not, we will be like an isolated coal and the flame of faith will eventually die out in our own hearts, in our family's hearts, uh, in the people we love. We need to be together. So that's one thing we learned from Daniel. A second thing we learned from Daniel is... We have to be willing to suffer. And, and that's, that's, this is a, a part that's uncomfortable for us. Sometimes we as Catholics don't, you know, we, we shy away from this. But, but we have to remember, we're called to be a sign of contradiction. We are a sign of contradiction. That's, that comes from Luke chapter 2, from Simeon's prophecy, that Jesus was going to be a sign of contradiction in the culture. And as we walk in Jesus' footsteps as disciples, we're just going to be signs of contradiction. In other words, we're, we're going to be signs remind, or standing out of pointing to what's really true, what's really good, what's really beautiful. I, I think about in my own family life, for example, the fact that we have eight kids which honestly, by you know the, the standard of the history of the church, isn't like a lot. You know, there's a lot of lots of families had had many 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 children. So, but in our culture today, man, eight is like you're crazy, you're insane, you're, you're crazy once you get beyond three. Three's a little odd, but you have four. Oh wow, that that's that's uncomfortable. Five now you're you're really in lunatic zone. <laughs> you know that's that's where our culture is. And you know if you if you're open to life and you really believe children are a blessing that the blessing of children is more important than financial blessing and more important than sleep at night, more important than having a big home or, you know, really nice cars or whatever. If we really believe children are a great good, they're the crowning of, of a husband and wife's love for each other. We want to build more love in the home. If we really believe that we're going to be mocked in this culture of death that doesn't value life. You know, if, if we value caring for the poor and not building up our own material you know, well-being, material pleasure, material uh, wealth, you know, those kinds of things, it, then we're, we're going to be a sign of contradiction. We're going to be a sign of contradiction if we don't buy into the sexualized view of life. You know, if we don't buy into pornography or we don't buy into uh, premarital sex and the hookup culture and we decide we want to live differently, we want to live Jesus's plan for sexuality, love, and marriage. And, and we don't want to have premarital sex. If we, if we stand up for these things, we're going to be a total sign of contradiction. 
and it makes it, and other people will feel a little uncomfortable by us because it's going to have to make them think a little bit more about life. And they won't understand us. They'll want us to live like them because they'll feel more comfortable. If they can get us to compromise, they will feel more comfortable about their own lifestyles. So if we're going to be really following Jesus as disciples, we will be signs of contradiction. That means we have to be ready. We, we know we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be misunderstood. I'm never going to get that certain relative to really like me and respect me. I'm just not. I'm not going to get that, that certain coworker to think highly of me. I, I'm going to have to deal with the fact that, you know, I, I'm going to sign, I'm a sign of contradiction. I might be hated. I might be misunderstood. That's and Jesus was, and I'm drawing closer to Jesus and his cross when that happens. Uh, now let's pray for that relative. Let's pray for that coworker. Of course, there can always be conversion, but, but what we learn from Daniel is a readiness to suffer a readiness to endure persecution. I think about his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They're thrown into that fiery furnace. And what do they do? They don't get angry and blame the king. They praise God. They just praise God. Sing praise to him, and may he be highly exalted forever. Sing praise to him, and may he be highly exalted forever. Over 30 times, they they recite this praise of God in Daniel chapter 3. It's beautiful. And an angel is present to him, to them, and they're rescued from that persecution. What does that tell us? When, when we're willing to actually go to the cross with Jesus, we will always be vindicated. The Father will always rescue his children who are faithful. We see the same thing with uh, Daniel himself. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Do you remember that story? Or He was persecuted for, for, for worshiping his God and praying to his God, and he was persecuted for that. So he's thrown into a den of death, and they lay the stone upon the mouth of the den, and they put the king's seal on that, uh, uh, on that entrance. But at the break of day, people come to, to check out, it was da- it, it, how is Daniel? What happened to Daniel? And they find an angel there. And they find that God delivered Daniel from the den of death. Daniel was faithful and God rescued him. But the story of Daniel in the den of death and his being rescued by God is a foreshadowing of what will happen some five centuries later with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will go and be killed on Calvary and go into a tomb, his den of death, if you will. And they'll put a stone at the mouth of that tomb. They'll put the king's seal, the Roman seal on the tomb. And at the break of day, the the people will come. Those women will come to the tomb looking for him and they'll, they'll see an angel there and they'll find that God delivered Jesus from that den of death in his resurrection. You see, the story reminds us, Daniel's story is a foreshadowing of Jesus in his death and resurrection. It's also a foreshadowing of this pattern of how God will always be faithful to us when we are ready to be faithful to him in times of persecution and suffering. Another thing we learned from Daniel is that Daniel remained faithful to God in prayer and worship, even when his prayer and worship had to look different. There's times and seasons in life where the way we're going to pray to God may just be different. Maybe we just had a baby and we're not able to get to Mass as regularly or able to get to, to adoration as regularly. Maybe we have to pray in our own home. Maybe we move somewhere and it's harder to get to the liturgy. So there's times in life, there's just certain seasons where our prayer life might have to change and we have to be willing to adapt. Daniel, think about what happened to Daniel. Daniel 
was taken so far away from Jerusalem. The, t- the temple was destroyed. There is no temple liturgy. There's no sacrifices. Think about what Daniel does. He doesn't just sit back and go, oh, shucks. Well, I guess I, I, I just can't go to the temple. Oh, well, I won't do anything now. <laughs> no, no, Daniel gets creative. He tries to do whatever he can to still worship and pray to God, even though it's going to look differently. And there may, t- may be times in life when we have to do that, like, like what's happened in the last several months because of COVID, right? Now, if you go back to Daniel, I would say Daniel would have gotten a dispensation from the temple liturgy. I'm sure if there were dispensations back then, he would have gotten one, right? Because there is no temple liturgy going on. Uh, so he would have been dispensed, surely. But he would not have been dispensed from the first and third commandments. So no matter what's happening in the culture in which we're living, the pagan secular culture in which we live, we, we still need to worship God and God alone. We shall not have any other strange gods before him. Commandment number one. And we also must keep holy the Sabbath. Commandment number two. Do you still do whatever you can to carve out time for worship with God, time for leisure with God, leisure with your family? Did you carve out time on the Lord's day? If people look at your life, can they tell, oh, you must be a Christian because you live differently on the Lord's day? Can they tell that about you? Let's live as Christians in a strange land. Let's not live according to the strangeness of this strange land and live Sunday like everybody else. No, let's be different. Let people know we are Christians by how we live Sunday. And I mean, not just go to church. I mean, not just even worship in your own home, just the way you you live that day with a little more leisure, focus more on family, focused on friendship, on fellowship, not racing around doing all the other things that can happen on the other six days of the week. Do we really enter into the Lord's rest? Do we seek his face? Do we seek the face of the people around us in fellowship with them? You know, Daniel, you know, even though he wasn't able to go to the temple liturgy, because there is no temple liturgy going on, he still did things to try to connect himself with the liturgy. I love this. You know, he, he prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. He'd open up his windows, fall on his knees and face Jerusalem three times a day to pray. And he prayed at the hour of sacrifice when the sacrifices used to go on. So he's trying to put his life into the kind of the spirit, the rhythm of the liturgy. He's trying to connect with that liturgy. And it just reminds me, even again, in our recent months and challenges of maybe not being able to have access to the liturgy and to churches like we used to. There was a, a photo that was posted on social media. I think it was from California. It was a man that wanted to go to mass. He wanted so much to be able to go into a church and to visit Jesus in the blessed sacrament, to draw near to the real presence of Christ. And he couldn't because the churches were closed and there were no masses and he couldn't even enter into the church. But the photo shows him on his knees before the door of the church. He's on his knees outside on the outside steps and he has his hands extended upward, leaning against the door and his head is bowed. And you could just see this is a man longing to be close to the one he loves. He just wants to be close to Jesus. And and, and he's doing everything he can. He, He can't go to mass. He can't even come inside a church and genuflect and praise God in Eucharistic adoration, but that he's doing what he can to be close to him. I I think that's an expression of what Daniel was doing when he opened his windows facing Jerusalem. He did what he could. 
And so whatever situation you're in, you might be in one of these situations where you do have access to the Mass, and you do have access to go inside your church and make a visit. You do have access to Eucharistic adoration. If you're in one of those situations, please, please, please take advantage of it. Go and go for all the many thousands and tens of thousands of Catholics that don't have access like you do. Don't take that for granted. Go and be with Jesus. And if you're in one of these situations where maybe your churches are closed or maybe it's you can only go once a month or whatever, or uh, maybe you don't have access to adoration like you used to or, or confession like you used to, maybe you're in a health situation for you're protecting yourself or protecting someone you love and you're not comfortable going, that, you know, if, that, if that's where you are, do you at least express your longing, your longing to be close to Jesus, your longing to receive him in the Eucharist? I think about Daniel's friends, uh, uh, Hananiah, Ezra, and Mishael, in Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, as they're praying, when they were in that fiery furnace, they're praying, they're saying to God, God, there is no place to worship you. There's no, there's no holy place like the temple anymore. There's no burnt offerings. There's no sacrifices. But yet what we're going to give you is a, a humble spirit and a contrite heart. And we seek you. We long to follow you. We seek your face. They're, they're, they're just expressing their desire. They're expressing their desire to God. That's a beautiful thing. You know, recently I was on a trip to the East Coast. And it was a quick, just one night overnight trip. But it was a wonderful time. It was a beautiful visit. And uh, I really miss Beth. And I, I just thought, oh, I wish you were here. And I texted her, honey, I wish you were here. It's been such a good time. I, I wish I could share this with you. I miss you. I love you. You know, and that, that's what husband and wives do. That's what lovers do. When they can't be together, they express their desire to be together. Do you do that with your bridegroom? Do you tell him maybe in those days when you're, you know, you're busy and maybe you weren't able to get to mass or able to get to a chapel, do you at least tell him that you miss him, that you wish you could be there? He delights in that. He delights when we express our love for him. Or if you're in one of these situations where maybe you can't get access to the liturgy or whatever, you know, tell him how much you desire to be with him. One last thing, one last thing here for uh, Mr. Uh, Daniel and what he can tell us about living in the time of exile in a, in a strange land. Daniel was someone that looked forward with hope. He wasn't someone looking backward and going, oh, I wish things could be like they were before. I wish things were, you know, just a Catholic culture like it was a long time ago, you know. I wish things were better, you know, in, in the culture, you know, not what's happening today in government and in society and in the church and all these tragedies taking place all around us. You know, no, Daniel wasn't someone looking backward. He's looking forward. He's looking forward with hope, hope for God's promises. And in Daniel chapter 9, he prays on behalf of Israel. He prays at the hour of sacrifice. And as he's praying, representing the people, praying at the hour of sacrifice, and he's begging God, God, come and rescue your people. He's looking forward with hope. An angel appears to him. It's the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel announces a prophecy that, yes, God is hearing your prayer, Daniel, as you pray at the hour of sacrifice on behalf of Israel for God to come and rescue the people, God will come. He is going to come and rescue you. He's going to bring atonement for sin. He's going to bring everlasting righteousness. He's going to bring his anointed one, his Messiah, to establish a new covenant with all the nations. It's going to be amazing. And this is the one prophecy from the Old Testament that has a timetable. Gabriel says it's going to take place 
in about 490 years, for about, about five centuries from now. And you know what happens? About five centuries later from that prophecy in Daniel 9, there's another man, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, who goes into the temple and he's burning the incense, which is a prayer on behalf of Israel. And he's praying at the hour of sacrifice. And guess who shows up as he's praying on behalf of Israel at the hour of sacrifice? The same angel, Gabriel. And Gabriel, for the first time since the book of Daniel, appears again. And he announces, now the prophecy is all coming to fulfillment. And your son is going to play a key role. Your son, John the Baptist, will be the one to prepare the way for that anointed one, that Messiah, that king that will rescue Israel, will extend God's blessings to all the ends of the earth and bring everlasting righteousness and atonement for sin. Daniel was looking forward in hope. And those are the hopes we enter into every Advent season. And those hopes are found ultimately, in that child born in Bethlehem. Thanks for listening, my friends. If you have any questions, reach me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And you can always find me on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. 